0: Welcome to Next in Queue, the podcast for contact center and customer experience professionals. Next in Queue is brought to you by Happy Queue, your service team's personal coach, giving them the process, resources, and insights to deliver the perfect customer experience over the phone. Learn more at H-A-P-P-I-T-U.com. Now, here's your host, Rob Dwyer.
1: Thanks for joining another episode of Next in Q. I am Rob Dwyer, your host. And joining me today, Ann Brunson, who's a vice president at Maestro Health. How are you, Anne? Welcome to the show.
0: I am wonderful, Rob. Thanks for having me.
1: Uh, I am glad to have yet another person that I met at ICMI on the show. We talked uh, very briefly last year about this. And so we finally got the opportunity to have you on the show and learn more about you. So thank you for for spending the time with me.
0: I appreciate you asking.
1: So let's start. Uh, I, I always like to figure out kind of where people grew up before we get started so where are you from originally
0: so i actually refer to myself as a retail brat so my dad worked for dayton hudson corporation which is now target corp um so i grew up in michigan ohio colorado texas minnesota oklahoma Um, Wow. We moved every time he got a promotion, basically, to a different operating company within the corporation.
1: Okay. So now I'm starting to connect the dots because I know that you um, spent a long time in Rhode Island, but I also saw that you were a Sooner (laughs) and... You know, I've got I've got my my Jayhawks gear yeah. on because as we're recording this, it's the day before the Final Four. So just um, for people that watch this after it actually comes out, that's when we're recording this. Um, but uh, so tell me about then what led to your decision to go to OU and kind of what were your what were your plans at that time.
0: Yeah, so um, when I graduated from high school, I ended up going to DePaul University, and that's with a W, not an L, Uh so not DePaul, but DePaul in Greencastle, Indiana, and I had worked since I was about 15, um, and Greencastle, Indiana did not even at that time have a stoplight, Um, so there was not a lot to do. Um, on the plus side, you know, my dad made a good living, so I didn't qualify for work study or anything like that either. Um, So I actually called my parents and said, you're paying a decent amount of money for me to be drunk Thursday through Monday, because there is (laughs) nothing to do here. Um, And I said, so I'm going to transfer. So at the time, my parents were in Oklahoma, I transferred to Oklahoma, and they immediately then moved back to Minnesota, um, and then ended up in Massachusetts, which is why I ended up, uh, I lived in Mass for over 20 years, um, and worked at Blue Cross Blue Shield of Rhode Island for about 10 years.
1: Okay, yeah, that that definitely helps connect a lot of dots, and I love that you are a retail brat. That's the first time I've heard that term, by the way, but I think it's a great term.
0: So maybe I should TM it. <laughs> you should.
1: You should, I think. There could be something there. I mean, I think we've all heard of army brats. Yeah. But this is um, definitely given you a, a wide view of the United States in much the same way, just not involved with the army. So uh, how, like, When you finished college, like what was your first role out of college?
0: Yeah. So at first I I wanted to go to grad school and I was thinking like Cornell and and labor relations or um, University of Chicago. And of course, um, I just did not do well on that GMAT. Um, so uh and i i didn't want to go to a lesser school you know when you're younger you're just like you know why would i do anything um plus i had uh just um started dating the the guy that i ended up marrying so um i ended up at, at that point in time and i'm not going to say when it was i'm just going to say you still looked for jobs using a newspaper and, fair fair and, And the ads in uh, Massachusetts and Rhode Island at the time were, you know, it it was a pretty thick Sunday paper with all the job openings and Oklahoma at that point in time really didn't have a lot right after the oil bust. So um, I ended up in retail, which is what I had done when I was a kid. Um, So I worked at a Bradley's, it's a defunct store, kind of like a Kmart Um, And I started out as their intimate apparel department manager. Um, And during my tenure there was promoted to accessories and fine jewelry. And then finally had basically all of the soft lines. So I had all the women's departments before I moved on.
1: I can tell you that uh, in going through your LinkedIn profile, Um, intimate apparel was not one of the things that I found on there. And I'm a little disappointed that you don't have that highlighted somewhere. It just seems like, why not put that on there?
0: Well, normally you stop at a certain number of jobs, right? I don't even think Bradley's is on my LinkedIn profile, to be honest.
1: No, it's definitely not. Um, But that's, that's a great story. And I think... A lot of times we discount like how those, um, I think what a lot of people would consider entry-level jobs can certainly set you up long-term for a career. And well, I think and it, really, it seems like you've done that.
0: Yeah. And I think, to be honest, retail, having to do things face-to-face Um when I started running call centers, it was like, oh my God, it's so much easier over the phone. I don't have to look at the person who's screaming at me, right? Like retail really set you up um, for customer service and, and taking a lead there uh, to me was much easier than having to do retail. You know, they're set hours. Um, and yes, somebody can yell at you over the phone. I had one client in Rhode Island. Um, who had a reputation of calling in quite frequently and I had just started there and she used the word bippy um, and and I started laughing and I I can tell by the look on your face you may not know what a bippy is but it's ass it's okay so I started laughing and she goes you know she got upset that I was laughing and she goes well you don't even know what that means and I was like oh I do too I um, (laughs) am. So I told (laughs) her what it means, and so it totally kind of disarmed her. Right? Like it's it's almost sometimes easier to connect with people over the phone, depending on because you can control the tone and modulation. Where when you're face to face, it's hard not to get more confrontational, right? Because you're it's more of a protection thing. Where over the phone, you can't touch me, you can't reach me, you can't truly do anything to me. other than yeah. go out maybe and, and spit out a bunch of stuff now on Twitter <laughs> that you didn't like what I did.
1: Yeah, there is something, and I think this is a challenge when you are face-to-face. You have to be able to control the emotion that your face conveys, even just for a split second, yeah. but not roll the eyes or anything like that, that is very apparent when you are face-to-face and is and you can totally get away with it when you're over the phone because no one can see that as long as you've got a nice smile in your voice
0: you can
1: you can get through an awful lot with a with a challenging customer that would be a lot harder if you're face-to-face
0: yeah and I am not a good poker player like right like you read (laughs) my face I'm I'm I have a lot of expression and I can't seem to hide it. So um the the phone definitely helps that way.
1: Yeah. A video poker, I think maybe that's the way you should (laughs) go. That would be okay. (laughs) Yeah. So you spent a long time at uh I think a, a company that probably was a couple of companies and got merged, um, Paramount Cards and and Premier Greetings. So tell me about what you were doing there and kind of what that business was.
0: Sure. We were actually a greeting card company, Hallmark American Greetings. We actually had a creative team that created greeting cards. We had a printer downstairs, right? A great big printing machine, uh, five color. um, And we would box them up and sell them to stores. Um, So I started there when I kind of left retail. I started on um, a diagramming department. So in retail, when you walk in, clothes aren't just where you think they should be or where someone wants them to go. Lots of times they have certain places and they get what we call a diagram that says, hey, put these things here in these spots, right? Um, grocery stores have them too I worked for I led a team that did the diagramming for the greeting cards um, took over the order entry type teams um, and then eventually customer service and new account setup Um, and then towards the end I was running distribution and so we had kind of the wholesale where we sold to retailers And then um, Premier Greetings was we started to kind of uh, we're one of the first ones doing some of the half off business. So we purposely sold our cards to be half off because, you know, who wants to spend eight dollars on a greeting card? (laughs) And we bought a Canadian company called Image Craft and that got merged in with us as well. So um, my customer service teams were both in Pawtucket, Rhode Island, as well as... um, Cambridge Ontario. Um, so that was, it was fun. Um, I was there like 15 years. I mean, people kind of were like family. And unfortunately, when we bought ImageCraft, um, and I was not part of the executive team who made that decision, by the way, just <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> we bought someone who was probably our same size in sales. Um, So, you know, you took on a pretty hefty note from the venture capitalists who eventually came to call and um, it actually made more sense to shut down the entire company and sell off pieces, right? So like Hallmark bought our creative book um, and, you know, so that they could recoup their money that way. And actually that's when I got into health insurance and I ended up at Blue Cross Blue Shield of Rhode Island running their call centers.
1: Yeah, so that seems like a big change, but I want to I want to stick with sure. with the greeting card business for a little bit. So, let's talk about these these plans for display. Like, what's the thing that you don't think people recognize when it comes to planning out like how greeting cards are arranged in a in a retail store?
0: Well, And you'll notice most of them are arranged. So you always arrange by title, right? And you start out with kind of general birthday, and then you're going to move to family birthday. And you put all the female birthdays together, and then all the male birthdays together. And then after birthday um, is wedding. So we're, we're trying to go in order that you experience life right? So then huh, you, you might have the okay. engagement, the wedding, and then new home, right? And then birth of children. And then, you know, eventually you end with sympathy.
1: <laughs> well, yes, eventually you do end with sympathy. That is, fa- I don't know that I had ever really recognized that there was that method going on within greeting cards. Um, yeah. Certainly yeah. the sections, Makes sense, but I had never really thought that there's, there's a very specific order for that.
0: And then from a creative standpoint, if there's, let's say there's five mother's cards on display, you want to make sure that one of them's really sappy, because someone's going to want to do that for their mom. And one's going to be like, here you go, mom, because I kind of have to do this. And, you know, it's going to be brief. (laughs) there's not going to be a lot of sentiment because I don't really care for my mom that much, but I need to send her this card so that, you know, um, so you want to make sure uh, you have the range of emotion available for sale as well.
1: Yeah. The, from, from really sappy to I feel obligated. Is that the range?
0: (laughs) That's kind of the range. Yeah, exactly.
1: (laughs) Yes. Okay, all of this is starting to make a lot of sense, and I now feel like I know way more about the greeting card industry than I had ever known before, and I'm not entirely sure if that's a good thing or a bad thing.
0: <laughs> well, you know, even though I've been out of it for a number of years when I go in, I haven't noticed much of a change in the setup or anything like that. Now, obviously, the cards have changed. They've added music and um little crafty type things like etsy does but um yeah. you know other than that the layout looks pretty similar
1: yeah the tech is definitely uh, a huge change in the greeting card industry that they have now and i, I think right you could get some really ornate things these okay. days that uh, maybe weren't available before unless you were hand making them and those envelopes can get really thick these
0: days they can extra postage required
1: right right <laughs> so I have to imagine then that I'm making this transition from greeting cards to blue cross blue shield I think there are always similarities, but the this seems like a very different world that you're entering into. So tell me about that transition. What stayed the same and what what did you have to explore and what was new about that?
0: So. Um... What stayed the same, right, is is the underlying pinnings of customer service, right? We want to take care of our clients. We want to take care of our members. We want to make sure they're having the best experience that they can possibly have when working with us. What changed is, like if, if somebody was upset with the way an order came in or whatever, I could discount the order. I could take things off the order you really don't do that in health insurance, right? (laughs) You can't just make it go away. Um, So that was a little bit of a learning curve. It it kind of ties your hands a little bit or makes you rethink how you might be able to make someone happy because you're not going to be able to discount the MRI that they just had.
1: Right, right. Right.
0: Um, The other thing we used to kind of joke about is no matter how dire things got at the greeting card company, we used to say this isn't open this isn't heart surgery. no, no you know no one's gonna die if they don't get their greeting card order right like everybody take a step back and, and really just relax about it. That is not true in in the industry I'm in now, right If somebody's really trying to get a pre-certification or, or something like that, it could be um, heart surgery mm. right um, yeah. so, Um, much different and much more serious frame of mind than we, you know, than you could technically have at the greeting card company.
1: Yeah. So you, uh, you spent a little over a decade with Blue Cross Blue Shield. Uh, Then uh, you went to Corsors and now you're at, at Maestro health and all of those are involved in uh, health insurance in in one way or another. And we'll talk a little bit about Maestro specifically, but I'm wondering, and I I think this comes up for almost everyone, um, whether they're an individual or their families, like health insurance is a, it's a thing, right? It's a big topic of conversation. How have things, how have you seen things change in that industry over time? Because, you know, you've, you've been there and seen a lot of different things over the years.
0: Yeah. I think employers, when I was first starting out were much more paternalistic, right? So uh, the plans had lower deductibles, they covered everything. Um, the, people weren't maybe paying as much in premium. And there's really been a shift in the years I've been here to have um, us individuals pay a lot more for that health care um, From the employer side of the house, we saw the introduction of high deductible health plans. Um, and sometimes they roll out well and, and sometimes they don't. And high deductible health plans are, I think a good way to, to explain the difference. So. Some employers um, with a high deductible health plan, you can actually think of it a lot like auto insurance, right? So if something happens to your car and you have a $200 deductible, you're going to have to pay that $200 before anybody pays anything else, right? right? A high deductible health plan works the same way, except for the stuff that has to be covered for no cost like ACA. But if you kind of think of it in in the vein of, OK, I have a high deductible health plan. Um, it's got a $3,000 deductible. I'm going to pay $3,000 plus my premium until I and when I hit that, you know, then the employer starts either sharing the cost or kicking in 100%. And I find it's actually easier for people if it's the 100% because then it is truly like an auto deductible. I paid here you're paying the rest um, and it makes it easier. I think reference-based pricing has been introduced to the industry. Um, So everyone used to have a network with reference-based pricing. There isn't a network and there could be balanced billing. The hospital then could bill you because they didn't like the price that got paid. Um, So we're definitely putting more onus on individuals dealing with the healthcare and the health insurance as a result.
1: Yeah. I wonder then how that impacts what you have to deal with from a customer experience standpoint, right? I mean, the the people that are manning the phones, if you will, that are fielding these calls or chats or emails or whatever communication method they're using, like what has changed for them? It seems to me that there's a level of complication and a level of uh, I have to deal with people that maybe aren't working from the, uh, the same knowledge base a lot of times and things are always changing.
0: So you've got people who have, you're right, different understandings of how insurance works, health insurance works you have um, different plans, right? So when I'm there, it's not like everyone that uses our company has the exact same plan anyway. So you have to be aware of the different plan nuances. Um, And because people are paying more, you know, balanced billing can mess up someone's credit. Um, So, so you're going to get more Uh, We had in Rhode Island, too, direct pay because we were the insurer of last resort. So if you didn't have insurance through the employer, you could get it direct from Blue Cross and you still can. Um, Those people were sometimes the hardest customers because they were paying with their hard-earned money. Um, And I think more and more customers are becoming that way because they are paying with their hard-earned money, be it a high deductible health plan or their premiums have gone up. So you see consumers taking... Uh, a much more active approach Um, and instead of the calls just being like, is this covered or isn't it covered? Well, how much am I going to have to pay? What is this going to look like for me? Um, They're getting into, uh, and there were a bunch of transparency regs that came out at the beginning of this year and are going to continue into next year that should help consumers, Um, mandated shopping tools available that would tell you what you'll have to pay or at least to give you a better idea of it. So I think the industry is trying to make it better and more transparent, but we're not there yet. We're kind of almost in in that hard spot where it's not as transparent as it should be, but the other people are already feeling the pain.
1: Yeah, for sure. So tell us a little bit more about uh, Maestro Health specifically, and and then what you're doing there, because Maestro is not a, a typical run-of-the-mill insurer, as I understand it. So tell us about what you do.
0: Sure. Um, so we do a lot. Um, it's almost like, um, so insurers normally are insurers, right? Um, and we don't insure so we're a third-party administrator. So basically employers who want to self-insure hire us to help process their claims. But we also do a lot of the peripheral type items. For example, um, all companies have to do ACA filings every year for their employees. We can do that. Um, if you want an FSA or HSA along with your health plan you know, for dependent care and those sorts of things, we can do that. Um, If you want your people to be able to shop for their plan, right, and and kind of go in and say, okay, here's a comparison of the plans for me, we can do that. Um, So we try to make it easy for those employers who are maybe, you know, who aren't obviously Amazon or Google, although we'd love to have them as a client, Um, (laughs) but maybe can't afford to piece all of that together. We could be a a one-stop shop for them. There's a big reliance on trying to cut the costs that our employers pay too. Um, we have nurses on staff who work with members to find the best place to go and, and get services. Our claims processors can reach out and talk to nurses, which is unique. That didn't happen to me when I was in Rhode Island. It didn't happen at the other prior company either. You know, the processors in Nurses were separate teams and kind of didn't interact. Where here they can interact if a processor's unsure about something, they can pick up the phone or, or they can we use teams, they can team somebody and, and find out more. Um, we do our own reference based pricing uh, for out of network claims. Um, and we started a specialty program recently. We've uh, done a test with two or three accounts where. Um, we help offset the cost of specialty drugs for members, um, getting that as low as, um, some of the times they don't have to pay anything, uh, but working with the manufacturers to do that.
1: Yeah, that's really interesting. It was the whole self-insured, the thing that I, that really caught my eye. So, um, for, for those who aren't familiar with that, talk to us about what self-insurance is for, for a company sure. to enter into.
0: So basically for health insurance, for an employer, there's two ways that they can do it. They can be fully insured, which means they take no risk. Um, and that's normally at Blue Cross or a Cigna and Aetna, and you're buying insurance through them. Um, and you're just paying a P- per employee per month fee. Um, And then they take on all the claims. Um, Sometimes those per employee per month fees and and other add-ons can end up being a lot of money. Um, So employers will look to self-insure, meaning like I'm going to pay someone a lot less money to just pay my claims and handle the service. And then I'm going to pay my actual claims myself uh, out of our money. Um, and, and so that's kind of the difference. And even if you are self-funded, you normally partner with a stop-loss carrier so that if you run into somebody who ends up I- extremely sick or hospitalized, you know, maybe you're only going to pay, and it depends on the account. You you could set it up where you'll only pay $60,000 um, and then any claims beyond that, the stop-loss carrier would pay. Um, or you could set it up where, hey, you know, we're big enough; we can absorb this. It's two hundred thousand before stop loss kicks in, um, and and so that's kind of the difference: is who's paying the claims and and who's fiduciary.
1: Yeah. So I wonder, from your perspective, then, um, how much you have seen technology work or or not work within. The, the customer experience that, that you're working on and kind of what challenges that um, you've either solved or are still working to solve and maybe aren't just, just not quite there yet.
0: Yeah, so I think technology has helped, um, you know, on the claims processing side, uh, you can set it up so that maybe people don't have to look at every claim, right? So for example, I mentioned earlier, there are ACA claims. Everyone can get a colonoscopy after they're 50, right? So does a claims processor, does a person really need to look at that or, or could that be machine processed to try to keep the costs down? You know, So we've used them on that side of the house. Recently, there's been a lot of AI. Um, so your IVRs are becoming a little bit more truly self-help with the spoken word. Um, We have not implemented that, but we've seen some pretty cool stuff um, and talked to some vendors about making that possible. I think the hardest thing with um, on the insurance side of the house, especially for a TPA and doing it, is because each plan is different. It's making sure that you have a database and can get to the data easy enough. For the intelligence to go find the right answer for Anne, because Anne's answer is going to be different than Rob's answer, and present the correct answer back to the person that needs it. Yeah, um, that's kind of the biggest challenge for us.
1: Yeah, I wonder, and I, you know, I'm sure we'll find out. You'll you'll find out um, before I will probably. I wonder how. I always wonder about, so I think that AI and its ability to interact voice with people and do things is incredible. I mean, and it's advancing really quickly and and can do more and more. I wonder when it comes to things like insurance, which is already uh, can be a really frustrating thing to have to deal with how people in general will react when they're not talking to another human being. uh,
0: (laughs) Well, and to be honest, I think the way to do that, right, is we have two sets of people that call us. We have the individual members who call us, hey, I have a question about my plan. We have a lot of providers, so doctors and physicians Mm -hmm. whose offices call us to say, does Ann have coverage? Is this covered? Um, or I want to start a pre-certification, right, to make sure that Anne can get this knee surgery that she needs. So some of those things, I think, are easier for an AI to take care of. And if you think about it on the provider side of the house, um, they were the first ones to kind of um, do offshore billing and and do other things they could do to consolidate and, and make so that they're not spending so much money on the back office so that they can spend more time and energy on their patients. You know, yeah. I, I think we as TPAs and insurers can do the same sort of thing, right? Let's not spend as much money on the back of the house. Let's spend it where we need to be spending it, making in the most difference in for those members, right? Like how can we help yeah. them make their health better um, and make good choices?
1: Yeah, no, that absolutely makes a lot of sense and that sounds like the way that you can actually use that technology in a way that improves experience and and not in a way that frustrates experience. I know. I'm I'm one of these people that has called insurance and dealt with an IVR. And been like <laughs> eventually saying not so nice things to this machine because I just want to talk to a person because you're not getting it, uh, or so, I'm not finding the, the path that I want to go down.
0: So, just uh, um, most IVRs, if you continually hit zero, it will opt yeah. you automatically out. Oh,
1: I know. <laughs> I, I know the tricks. And I think that's important that everybody else know those tricks, although that's not not what it's designed for but I think that it's right understanding when uh an IVR and right there there are different types of IVR when we say IVR but understanding when that's appropriate also how that's architected can make a huge impact on the people calling it
0: well and we so I'm a firm uh believer and, and when I was doing it at Blue Cross and and, um, when we were working on our IVR here, the first thing a member has is the ability to opt out, right? Because I want, if you're comfortable using interactive voice response, for those of you who did not know what IVR is, you know, and you're okay pushing buttons, please feel free, we've got it set up for you. But if you don't, right? And, you know, there's stuff that's going on in your lives that right now you might need that human voice hit, you know, hit the number that we tell you and, and talk to us. We're, we're okay with that. Providers, yeah, maybe I don't feel quite so, you know, <laughs> they, they might not have that option as much. It might be harder to get to us.
1: Yeah. Um, it's a but, different relationship though, exactly, right? Exactly.
0: Exactly. It's a different relationship. Yeah.
1: So one of the things that I wanted to talk about is um, you uh, so obviously this podcast is geared toward people in customer experience and in contact centers and you have uh, a CCXP credential. And so I'm wondering if you can talk about that and what did that do for you and, and what did you learn through that process? Uh,
0: yeah so uh, shout out to uh, Judy Weeder who worked for me at Blue Cross, um, running experience. Um, and she was like, and I, I know, you know, I'm reporting to you and you technically haven't done any experience, but if you've done customer service for as long as you have and everything else, she goes, go take the test, you know, NPS, you just need to know the math. (laughs) 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 So, you know, I signed up for it, um, At the time, you actually, I was one of the first ones, I think Judy was like in in one of the first groups, she works for Forrester now. Um, So I I went through, right, went through and kind of self-studied and then went in and took the test. And um, luckily, you know, Blues have a lot of conferences and, and that sort of thing that they're a very collaborative group Um, So I had done a lot of speaking at their different conferences and that sort of thing. I think, um, to be honest, the credentialing opened up probably other avenues as well, right? So um, I spoke at, um, it's been a little while, but I spoke in Boston at one of the conferences, right? And it was a non-blue, more like an ICMI. Um, so it kind of opens you up to have that opportunity that other people go, hey, wait a minute, she's she's been in this industry. She knows her way around a little bit. Maybe she has something we'd like to hear.
1: Ah, oh, that's really interesting. Uh, do they have like, uh, aside from that, is there like a, a cohort? I mean, do you guys... Uh, have any place where you can talk and share information
0: yeah so um the the group where i joined was actually up in new england so i know that um that group is actually very active they have like monthly meetings you can get together you can bounce things off of hey this is what we're seeing what are you seeing um that sort of thing um i'm actually in charlotte um north carolina at this point in time um I haven't really seen that the group's very active down here. So I think it depends kind of on where you are. Um, I'm sure now with everything being virtual, I could probably just rejoin the Boston group and no (laughs) one would know where I was anyways. Um, But I do think that's helpful. And I mean, over the course of of the years, right, you you come across various people who form how you manage and, and kind of how you... You go through and I think one of the reasons why you know my career well part of it's luck right people have to leave at the right time and you have to be there willing to to step in to, to the gap um, but one of my mentors had always said ask forgiveness not permission and that really stuck with me um, and, and I do do that right I'll make decisions and if it's the wrong one someone's eventually going to tell me but most of the time they're right and I think that just gives you personally more confidence. And that way, when the opportunity does come up, if you've already kind of been acting in that capacity to some extent, they're going to look at you to, to take over that responsibility.
1: Yeah, that's, that's really good stuff. And you're right, luck plays a, a huge role in the way things transpire, but it's also matter of taking advantage of that luck when, when it does come up. Exactly. Well, and it's been fascinating talking to you. I know that we could probably talk for hours about uh, health insurance and I could probably rail on about all kinds <laughs> of things in the system, but I know people like you are working really hard to improve the way everything works while there's always so much in flux, right? That market is changing. It's also, you know, regulations change and that's a huge thing. Um, But that gives me hope for the future that things will continue to get better and better because um, there are people that are focused on how do we make this better for, uh, our people, our members, or the people that we insure, et cetera. So, so thank you for that.
0: You're welcome. And there are quite a few of us out there trying to do that.
1: Absolutely. Well, thanks for joining Next, NextNQ, and I can't wait to talk to you again in the future.
0: Great. Thanks so much, Rob. Appreciate it.